Blog Talk Radio. Front of me, 
but I'm trying to remember all the different coaches. Uh, but there were four teams, and there was some trash talk between them on the UK athletic uh-huh. account. And uh, so it was all it was all good natured. But I finished. Uh, I think I sent you. Uh, I, you know, you you finish. You send in your picture. Let them know that you're done and all that kind of stuff. And I was featured on UK Athletics uh, Facebook page, Instagram post, and on Twitter. So uh, I felt 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 pretty good. I ain't gonna lie. Getting getting a shout out from uh, from UK Athletics uh, department that was that was fantastic. So I was really uh, I was really glad about that. Uh, so I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm, I'm not gonna say I won't run a marathon. I'm just saying I did five miles today, and it's not quite a marathon. Uh, we will see tomorrow how my body responds. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the knees may not be a big fan of, uh, of that. Uh, but what I do, I, rate, I run every other day, and then uh, I do a lot of core stuff and different stretching and different kind of things on, on my off days. So I'm trying to – uh, you know, trying to stay in shape, trying to have something to do during this uh, this quarantine, and it's 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 been uh, it's been fun. It's been fun to kind of see, you know, you you don't know how far you can go until you go as far as you can go. It's something you know my dad taught me years and years ago. Uh, so it feels good to kind of get back out and do some physical stuff. You know, I've been playing basketball. Uh, but this is something a little bit different. Uh, I'm going to sound like one of those crazy runners you see on TV, but there's just something out there. It's, it's just you and your footsteps and just, you know, there's just something something to it. So I, I've, I've really enjoyed it. So I'll probably continue this once the, the quarantine and everything is over. Yeah, that's all right. It was, it was cool seeing you on every single UK athletic social media platform, boys. TV up there, front and center, uh, ripping Coach Skinner. So that was that was all right. Well, and and that was the thing. I didn't even realize that I was all over the place until I, until I started getting text messages and people saying, "Oh, look at you, you're famous." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" And yeah, you know, right there, kind of front and center for. For all those, well, there I am, you know. So, uh, uh, so that was that was that was cool, and, and I hope they continue to have these, you know, these virtual five Ks, and, and, and when things get back to normal, you know, I'll I'll definitely do uh, a quote unquote regular five K uh, and everything. So I'm very excited uh, about that. I found a fun new hobby to kind of keep in keep in shape. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, y'all give us a call. We appreciate everybody popping on and listening. 845-277-9373. Follow us on uh, Twitter at Cats Talk Wednesday, Cats Talk W-E-D on Twitter and Facebook. And Terry, of course, at T-Bet underscore 80. And follow me at Vinny Hardy. Uh, holler at us, call us, whatever you want to do. Because we are happy to be here. Always fun. We never chop it up for a little bit. Talk about the fun stuff and get away from negative stuff for a little bit. Um, I don't know if we're even surprised by this or not. There's 
like on the UK front, there's probably three huge nuggets that we'll, of course, talk about. But they set a date for the voluntary workout June the 1st for, for a student athlete to return. The SEC is rolling with June the 8th. Football, basketball, whoever, whatever respective sport is, you can come back and start getting in voluntary workouts. Uh, I don't know if that's surprising. You kind of knew it was, you know, everybody's wanting to get it back going again. I just hope it all goes smooth. That's all you can hope for now. Right. That's the that's the the hope and I, I i feel you know i'm cautiously optimistic about it but the, there's just still so many questions i think have to be answered and you know uh, i've been listening to a whole bunch of a uh, whole bunch of podcasts and i was listening to uh, Gary Parrish uh, on the Ion College Basketball uh, podcast. Uh, Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander there at CBS Sports. And the questions, as it, and this is particularly obviously to college basketball, is if the population that needs to be concerned is an older population, 65 and up. That's a lot of coaches, right? I think Cal, of the big time, big time, you know, your blue bloods and your big time name coaches, they rattled off a lot of names of guys that are on the other side of 70. And if the experts are saying, hey, that's the population that really has to be careful. The question then becomes how, how do those programs move forward where you've got your 18 to 20 year old, 18 to 22 year old guys on a college campus that aren't necessarily going to be uh, sequestered or secluded, but the coaches are older. That's coach K that's Jim Bayheim. That's Roy Williams, you know, even Coach Cal, who I believe is 62, 63, how, how does that work? Are they going to be able to coach in close quarters? Like, I can't imagine, you know, riding on the planes or buses or just being in a huddle with players, how that's going to look. So I think we can be encouraged that workouts are happening and, and, and there's some return to normalcy, but football, you can, you can coach football somewhat at a distance, right? Like you, you, your, your older coaches, your Nick Saban, your, your, you know, your whoever, these older football coaches don't necessarily have to be right on top of uh, the guys. But basketball is a little bit different. It's a, it's a, it's considerably more intimate than football, as are other sports. And so that's going to be one of those things that folks. That's a question that's got to be answered, right? Is is how do we yeah. protect the older coaches, the older support staff, and that kind of thing? 
Uh, and then, you know, with football, if you've got one or two people that test positive, okay, what's the procedure? How do you proceed with games, right? But the example they threw out that is something for people to think about is, okay, the Champions Classic is November whatever it is. What happens the day or two before if Kansas has one or two or three guys test positive? Are they still going to travel to the site? Like, will the other remainder of the team, will they still play? Will Kentucky and Coach Cal say, hey, wait a minute, you've got three positive guys. We don't want our guys around your guys. So I know we want to rush back to these kinds of to, – to the games and all that, but there's a lot that you have to – there's still so much uh, stuff you've got to worry about and think about, right? And those questions, you, you've got to have something in place before you can get the games going. On top of, are you playing in front of fans or no fans? How is that going to work? You know, I don't want to be the Ohio State Athletic Director, Gene Smith, and, you know, they decide, okay, we can only have 20,000 people in the horseshoe. How do you pick the 20,000? Right? <laughs> you know, uh, you know, at, at Memorial, I believe it's Memorial Stadium there at Clemson. How do you do that? Bright Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa. How do you do that? And on top of that, a question I have said for a long time is, okay, you're only going to let 20,000 people in. Do you think only 20,000 people are going to tailgate? How do you navigate that? Do you not let people tailgate? Do you, you know, so there's so many questions that still need to be worked out. But again, I'm cautiously optimistic, but like I said, there's still questions that need to be answered before we can just rush full back uh, into everything and pretend that everything is okay. Now, college football, there's definitely some marks in June that they've got to hit because the first part of June is where your networks and your leagues and your teams start setting up those start times, right, for that first weekend, that, that uh, Labor Day weekend. You try to get all that set in, uh, set into stone. So you've got to start ramping back up in June because it's going to take time for guys to get back into football shape. You know, it, it's not like you can just flip a switch and all of a sudden you can get football back. You know, there are guys, you know, when, when this hit, people went, they went home, they went everywhere, whatever. And I, I think it's a safe estimate, to a safe, safe assumption to make is even if you've got a home gym, it's not the same as being at the better field house, right, or the craft center, or, you know, it, it's not exactly the same thing. You know, your diet may not be exactly the same as it is if you're on campus. So it's going to take time to ramp things back up. You just can't flip a switch. The same thing with the NBA. You know, LeBron's got a gym at his house, but how many guys have, like, a gym where they can get up shots at their home? Not a lot, you know. So it's Mm -hmm. going to just take a lot 
for, for things to get going. And, you know, when it comes to the professionals, I keep saying I'm not too worried about that. The Major League Baseball Players Association, the, the NBA uh, Players Association, NFL, I, you know, in NHL, those guys are going to be taken care of. You know, they can bargain for, uh, for all this kind of thing. Uh, safety and all that kind of stuff. The concern is on the college side, not necessarily Alabama football, not necessarily Kentucky basketball, but when you have these, and I hate to use this terminology, but these lesser tier teams, the testing and all the stuff they need to do to get ready to play is going to be expensive. Uh, the figure they tossed that on the on the uh, uh, Iowa College Basketball podcast is it's a hundred dollars per test right and you've got a hundred guys on the football team you know if you throw in staff and everything like that you're looking at 120 people and if you're testing every two or three days at a hundred dollars a pop that gets quite expensive really really fast alabama football alabama football could go have a gofundme and that would take care of it but what if (laughs) You're like your Memphis, your Memphis football, right? Teams in the AAC, teams in the Sun Belt. That's a, that's a huge thing. That's a huge part of your budget, right? And if you can't, for whatever reason, if you can't get those buy-in games, like we we know those those games at the beginning of the year where uh, Elon will go down and play Alabama and. You know, your directional Michigan school it seems like everybody plays Western Michigan or Central Michigan or Eastern Washington. Yeah. You remember that year Kentucky played like Eastern Washington, Eastern Michigan, and then maybe Eastern Kentucky. It was like a bunch of Eastern schools right there. Those those big ticket games cover not just the football team's expenses, but a lot of the budget. And if you can't get that game in on top of these other expenses, these are, again, questions that need to be answered that the teams are going to have to address before the season can move on. So, uh, again, I'm encouraged the guys are coming back, ladies are coming back, but I still think there's some significant hurdles before we can say play ball. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've, I've a few days ago, Drew Franklin tweeted out the article that look everybody's ready for sports to come back, but let's let's quit acting like the football players are amateurs because they are relied on to save the entire budget. Um, just call it what it is, um, and you know a lot of these places are bringing back players before students, so. Let's let's quit trying to say they're student athletes because you need football to keep you in the black. So um, yeah, that's yeah. happening as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and people that have followed me uh, on social media, I you know I'm not one to shy away from it, but I, I agree with Drew 100. percent And you want to hope that the administrators and the coaches and the powers that be as they move forward, the number one goal and number two goal should be 
the safety of the players. And I think a lot of folks that want to rush back into this and get back to normal, well, number one, there's not going to be a normal until we have a plan on how to clean or how to treat uh, the COVID-19. Everybody gets caught up in the death rate, but I know you have seen, I have seen people that go through this and they don't die, but man, there's a picture of that bodybuilder. I don't know if you saw that. He lost 50 pounds of muscle while on respirators and all this kind of stuff. And if you're an athlete and your lung capacity is diminished, that's a pretty huge deal, right? So focusing on just the death rate, I think, kind of misses a whole lot. And you've got folks that are coming from communities that have been hit harder than other communities. And when you're depending on college football to bankroll the entire department, the game is the game. The the jig is up. The jig is up. Obviously, Mm -hmm. without college football, none of this works. None of it. Without college football, we don't have any other sports. We don't have any of these coaches making eight, nine million dollars a year. We don't have it. And that's at UK. University of Kentucky, for everything that men's basketball has done, is, and will be, football is still the economic driving force, even at UK. So those football players have a lot of power. And one thing, I finally saw one article on The Athletic about it, is what do the players think? You know, we see all this discussion on ESPN, on Fox Sports, and it's this coach is saying this, this coach is saying, this athletic director is saying, Mark Emmert of the uh, uh, NCAA is saying this and this and this, the commissioners are saying. And when I talk about the professional sports, the players have a seat at the table. I hope that before we start flipping switches to turn this thing back on, somebody asked the players, what do they think? How do they feel? There was a caller into the Paul Feinbaum show, I believe it was last week, the person said they were a parent of a college football player, and you you take it for what it's worth. But the question was, if all the students can't come back, if not even all the sports teams can come back, if it's not safe for those folks, why is it safe for my son to go play football? Uh-huh. That's going to be a, another question that that people are going to have to ask. And it, it's with it being college and underage kids, the parents have to step into that role. Yes, these people are 18, but if my son is playing college football at the University of Kentucky, Mark Stoops, you've got to explain to me how my son will be safe. 
Mitch Barnard, you've got yeah. to explain to me how my kid will be safe. Because when you came in to recruit him, you said you were going to take care of him. I, I tweeted this out, too. We're not asking the music majors to rush back. We're not asking the chemi- mm-hmm. uh, chemistry folks on scholarship to rush back. The arts folks aren't rushing back. The English department isn't mm-hmm. rushing back. Why yeah. football? If we say they're student-athletes, how are they going to be the only people on campus? So I don't, I'm not trying to be a negative Nelly and all that kind of stuff, but these are legit questions that the powers that be are going to have to answer. Because for the hundred people on a football team, thereabouts, I would imagine a fair amount of parents are going to be really leery about letting their kids come back and play. I, you know, it's, it's, you have, it's, there's just so many moving parts. You mentioned just the fact that, you know, some are asymptomatic and you know, some people get it and never recover and it turns out to be fatal. But then there's those who get it and then survive and the lung capacity isn't what it was before. And that's, I don't know him well, well, but I mean, I've known the name forever. He's right there in Louisville, but Jody Dimling got it yeah. and is was near fatal. Uh, he's he's made it to the other side, but I saw where you know he like walks from his car to the house and is winded, and, and he's not much older than us, and was in pretty good right. shape. You know, didn't smoke. And it wasn't like he was just in horrible condition before this happened. That's what you're talking about. You know, you walk the mundane stuff you don't think about. You walk to get the paper out the mailbox and you're tired. So that. Right. And uh, I was listening to uh, your boy, which I'm, you know, Bomani. He was on, he hopped on there with, with Matt Jones of KSR. He said yeah. he doesn't think college football is coming back. And what if Giannis or somebody in the NBA gets it and then the same thing happens to them that's happened to Jody Dimmer? What if Giannis gets it and then only has 50% lung capacity, a peak prime athlete, 24 years old, and then, you, you know, you can't walk from the locker room to the court and you're winded, much less try to play a game with the best players in the world. What happens then? So, yeah, lots, lots of questions. In, 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 in the same way with, with Major League Baseball, uh, you know, the, the owners in March, they all agreed to a prorated uh, salary. You play 80 games, you get half your salary. That was agreed to. That was fair. Well, now all of a sudden, the owners, and I saw something where they still want to play the 80 games, 82 games, but now they, they want to pay basically pennies on the dollar. Okay. Uh, Mike Trout going from like $30 million down to, to $2 million. And this is what happened. For whatever reason, the general fans, and the media will side with the owners, okay? Because when it comes to the player contracts, 
we know what the salary cap is in the NFL, right? We know what it is in the NBA. When guys sign deals all across the board, we get those numbers. You know, I remember the first time I heard, uh, you know, some time ago, A-Rod, $250 million contract when he signed with the Rangers. And you're like, that's an absurd amount of money, right? It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But then I was talking to my dad. He said, you know, what about the owners? If you can sign the checks for somebody else to get $250 million, what are you bringing in? And so we hear this year after year after year. Professional owners always crying poor. They always cry poverty. You know, we I've got to get a new stadium to maximize revenue. I've got to get a new TV deal. I've got to get an apparel deal on my own. I've got X, Y, and Z. You know, you know the reason we have a salary cap in these sports is because owners – and teams were, and they had to do something to safeguard themselves. You know, that's why we have it in those sports. And so we we get these numbers for these athletes, and people are just saying, "Oh, you know, out of all, all, all this, is just a kids' game. You get all this money for a kids' game." No, it's a business. It's a business. The simple fact that you tune in. You engage in it makes what they do special and unique. But a lot of fans, when it comes to pro athletes, to quote our man Bomani Jones, they're pocket watchers. Oh, you know, I'd play baseball for for free. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. If you're Mike Trapp and you're the best player of your generation, and your team, the Angels, is bringing in untold sums of money. Yeah, give me my $30 million a year. I've earned that. I've earned that. It's a business. Oh. You can look up the information when Jerry Reinsdorf bought the Bulls, how much they were worth, how much the franchise was worth. And then look between 1984 in 19, just 1994, how much do you think the Bulls went up in their in, in the worth in the valuation of the franchise? Paying Michael Jordan 35 million dollars a year was 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 a steal. As a matter of fact, Reinsdorf knew it was a steal because the Bulls got in trouble because Reinsdorf was helping MJ with his investment. That's a story that's not out there a lot. You know, and the league said, hey, that's, that's circumventing, the, you're circumventing the salary cap rules. Because Reinsdorf said, well, what I'm paying him is not worth what he, is not what he's actually worth. So mm-hmm. we can say all this stuff about this, but we never actually see how much these teams bring in doing. We know the NFL itself generates, was it, $3 billion a year in revenue? That's just for the league. How much do you think Jerry Jones is getting in Dallas? Whatever the naming rights of AT&T Stadium, whatever the – everything that goes into the stadium, because a lot of these guys, they own the team, they own the stadium. Nope. And they always cry poor, but we can never see the books. 
or they move the money around where it looks like the team is losing, but the venue is making all kinds of money, right? So, mm-hmm. and I don't know why it is we side with the owners, but the players, no. They don't know. The concession was we're, the proration. And then the owner said, well, we'll give you half of the revenue, but we won't show you the books on the actual revenue. You'll have to take our word for it. That's a non-starter. That's a non-starter. I've seen people say, you know, because the, the minor leagues, that is a horrible situation. Well, you know, maybe the players need to sacrifice. That ain't the player's job. If I'm Mike Trout, if I'm whoever, not one cent. That's on the owners. The owners are the ones that are making the billions upon billions upon billions. It's not on the players. You know, when this first happened, and uh, and Zion Williamson, I think he was one of the first players that, you know, I'm going to take care of all the workers in the arena. You know, and then mm-hmm. player after player, Kevin Love and all these other guys. It was the players doing that until Mark Cuban said, hey, wait a minute. No. I'm a billionaire. Yeah. I'll take care of it. But for whatever reason, whether it's Madden in the franchise mode or NBA 2K, we side with the owners, and they're the billionaires. They're playing their games in these uh, taxpayer-subsidized arenas. We should be asking a whole lot more from those folks than we are from the players. Because if I'm a baseball player, look, we already agreed to prorate it. I'm not coming off that. Because the players are taking all the risk. That's just taking the risk. All these coaches and all these ADs at the college football level, bring your kids to the games if it's so safe. Bring your kids inside the locker room if it's so Mm -hmm. safe. Put your money where your mouth is. So, I, yeah. you know, I wasn't going to soapbox it, but there's just so much more than just, all right, we're going to go back to playing. We can't. We 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 can't. We just can't pretend that this whole thing's over. So, there's there's that. You got yeah. me wound up early on. <laughs> and we miss sports just as much as anybody. But it just, like you said, you just got to look at everything. And, and yeah, you want to rush back and get it back to normal. But it, it's other other factors. We talked about it. We talk about it every week. Yeah, we want to see games flipping on ESPN and it's, you know, stuff from the vault and the archives. And nothing new on Sports Center. We. We miss it just as much as everybody else. But we're not going to get to the point where we're angered if it's delayed and if it doesn't come back as fast as everybody wants. We're not going to be out there throwing a tantrum just because it's not back yet. And, and, and And you see people, you know, commenting on sports writers that are being cautious, oh, you just don't want them to cancel the season. Why would a sports writer want there to be no sports? Like, that makes yeah. zero sense. 
like, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Like, that's like a, a, a cooking, uh, you know, reviewer being like, close all the restaurants. It makes no sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you can't just pretend that everything is back to normal because you're tired of of the quarantine. You're tired of it. And I just think it's unfair to ask, particularly collegiate athletes, to assume all this risk just for our pleasure. I, I, that doesn't sit well with yeah. me. It doesn't. I, I don't think that's right, uh, particularly those folks coming from communities hardest hit. And I'll say it, it, you know, no. it's the black kids. Those, those, the African American community has been ravaged by the COVID nineteen. The majority of deaths in all these major cities. Majority of the people getting sick. Uh, one of the uh, factors for how you will react to this COVID nineteen is sickle cell. Sickle cell is a black people's disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You remember was it, was it William Gay on the Steelers couldn't play in Denver because he had sickle cell. Yeah. And unless you've been tested for it, the only way you find out most times is if you have an issue with it. I don't want us to rush back and have a lot of sick bodies when we could have taken our time and gotten this right. The money's still going to be there. I I understand bills got to be paid, all this kind of stuff, but I hope, I hope that as a society, especially when it comes to these college kids, that we do right by them and not put them in harm's way just to make a buck. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we swim upstream a little bit, but it is what it is. Uh, not the prevailing thoughts that you hear elsewhere, but just, just how we both kind of feel about it. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. And speaking of, oh, and real quick too, before we get to the other stuff, um, I think you mentioned last. Oh yeah, we mentioned the Bulls, mentioned the last dance. One thing, how how did we not mention <laughs> that finals game when when Utah only scored fifty four points? Like <laughs> shot clock futility. I mean, you got two Hall of Famers on your team. 54 points in the NBA Finals. This is not 1952. This was 1998. And you score 54 points with John Stockton and Carl Malone and condolences to the late, great Jerry Sloan as your coach. But at the the biggest stage of all stages, 54 points, TB. 54. Yeah, I mean, that was – I remember watching that game and just, yeah, I, because you see, you see dud games, you know, you got to go to Milwaukee's the second night of a back-to-back, okay. But the NBA Finals, and I, I, you know, I need to rewatch it because I don't know if it was it just the Bulls were that great or the entire uh, Jazz team was that. Was it just an off shooting night? Like I just, you know, sometimes you just don't have it. But I don't think we've ever seen it on that stage where you didn't have it like that. I mean, that was just a yeah. that was a boat race. Every every bull scored. You know, and and we can 
you know, since the, 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 the last dance is over, we can, we can talk about that a little bit. I, I think that for my money of the six teams the Bulls had that won, I think 92 was probably the best, even though 96 went 72 and 10. I think that took a Herculean effort on Jordan's part. Uh, I thought I think 92 was probably the best, and then 96. If we're looking 97, 98, that was just that was for the old guys, right? That was uh, the Bulls and the Jazz holding off all these young teams. You know, because Shaq had gone to L.A. and as a Lakers fan, I was waiting on that. But I can't remember if it was 97, 98, but the, the Jazz swept the Lakers out. And that ultimately made Shaq realize, hey, i got to pay attention to basketball. But, um, yeah, I, I had to rank those teams. I would, I, would, I, would say, I would say the 92 team was probably the best addition of the Bulls. Uh, simply because I think with 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 Horace Grant as your as your four, giving you a little bit more offense than Dennis Rodman. I know he wasn't quite the rebounder that Rodman was, but I, I think for what they were doing, I thought Grant was a little bit better. Uh, I think the role guys were just a little bit better on the first three P versus the second three P. Yeah, and 91 was where, you know, he had been in the league seven years and finally got it. <clears throat> 92, now you know what it's like, and now it's, you know, you kind of still in your prime, but now you have enough knowledge while still having enough athleticism to, and you look, you just can't be stopped at that point. We, we Everybody's been through that. Well, if I knew then – what I know now, you know, John Elway was old when he won his two. Back when you and I first started watching, he was scrambling and throwing rockets and then getting to the Super Bowl. I know it's a team game and getting drilled. Your Niners just annihilated them. Uh, the Redskins beat them down. Then he's old. Jerry caught three. Yeah, he, won it. he beat him by himself. Jerry Rice, 21, Denver 10. Uh, when he's old and can barely run, he gets, you know, spun around like a helicopter. But he, he, he didn't have the wheels. But he, he, when you, There's a point when you get to that combination where you got the knowledge and still have the athletic ability to execute it. That's kind of what 92 was. He hit all those threes of the shoulder shrug game. You know, if, sorry, Portland, y'all y'all weren't about to disrupt this back to back. You know, same thing when your Lakers went back to back. You know, it's the magic is he's been around, he's at the peak of his powers, still got Kareem, he's aging, but you know, it it ain't you know, look when you got it working, it, you're not gonna be knocked off. That's what ninety two was to me for those bulls. And then like you said, ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight is now you're just outsmarting everybody and, and just using all your guile and all the tricks that you learn because you don't have the run for days MG like you did when you was trying to beat Detroit back in 84, 85, 86, 87. I, I agree with that. Yeah, and, and mm-hmm. you know, 
like we can we can be realistic when we when we talk about Michael Jordan. Obviously, six and zero. Uh, I think no matter what he says in the documentary, he benefits from them not trying to go in ninety in ninety nine. I think he, he his 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 legacy if he is. You know, six and zero, and comes back in '99, and either loses in the finals or doesn't reach the finals. I think that's a small blemish, but having that six and zero, leaving the Bulls on top, but that '99 season was going to be tough. Because keep in mind, '99 was uh, the strike shortened year, and the NBA did 50 games. In like three months, there was a lot of back to back. There was a lot of travel, and if you look, it was the team. It, it wasn't the old teams that advanced in 1999. The Heat looked good, number one seed in the regular season, got beat by the Knicks that had Sprewell and Houston and their young legs. Uh, then eventually rode that all the way to the final. Right in '99, that's when Tim Duncan becomes Tim Duncan. Right, that's when he officially takes the, the the torch, if you will, from David Robinson, and they march through the West. And teams like your Rockets, with with new addition Scotty and Charles and the King, was an old team, you know. And so that schedule wore down the old team, and I just don't see the Bulls and people can say, well, Jordan can do anything. Okay, yeah, okay, whatever. But eventually, Father Tom comes knocking for everybody. And I just don't see how the Bulls could have done that. The same way, you know, I've said repeatedly, your Rockets in 94-95 get completely overlooked. Because people just, well, Jordan would have played. I don't know how you could watch whatever episode it was and see Michael Jordan in 1993, how physically exhausted he was. Because remember, we're talking about 91, 92, 93. In those deep, deep playoff runs, they burn you out. You know, you you figure that you've got, if you go to three straight finals, pretty much a completely another NBA season, right, of playoff basketball. And you've got all that, and then his, his father gets killed, I, I don't. I just don't think you can just assume that that he would not have been burned out because we see that teams that go to three, four straight finals, that last run, you're just on fumes, right? Mm-hmm. We saw that particularly with the Bulls in 1998, Scotty Pippen, you know, and even the, even yeah. the Jazz in 98, you know, they had been Western Conference finals. Finals in 96, I believe. Uh, finals and finals, 97, 98. That's a lot of extra miles for an old team. And that's why you end up with that game like you talked about, that 54-point game. You, you know, <laughs> yeah. sometimes your legs, your legs just aren't there. So I just don't think you can just assume that kind of thing. Uh, and like I think I said last week, for Michael to assume that Scottie Pippen was going to come back for $2 million is a mighty big assumption from what we have seen of Scotty Pippen, right? 
He wanted mm-hmm. his money. He ended up getting his money. I, I think that would have been a tough ask for him to cut back. And 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 so uh, that's why I kind of sit on that. Jordan is Jordan. He, he's great. Give him his props. Uh, but there's just so many other things that you can look back on that, you know, the 1990s, so many good teams you can look back. The Blazers, you know, two-time finalists, they kind of get overlooked in the shuffle of really, really good teams. Uh, Dominique Wilkins and uh, the Hawks kind of get overlooked in the 80s. They had some really, really good teams. So I know history remembers teams that win, but there are just so many other good teams of that era that just get overlooked. Yeah, yeah, and that the closest thing to a concession you were gonna get, Jordan was uh, talking about wanting another shot. You know, I can't accept that. I can't accept it at least. And but he did. He said, you know, maybe we wouldn't have won it in '99. That's that's the closest you're gonna get to him even letting that possibility enter his mind. And I was even kind of surprised he said it, but. He did at least acknowledge that they were old and, and, you know, for knowing what it took to do that second three-peat, he did say, hey, maybe we wouldn't, but I would at least like to have the opportunity. So he did at least open the door for the possibility of it. Hey, maybe maybe we come back in 99 and we don't win, which, uh, you know, as, as fiery and competitive as he is, as petty as he is, I give him credit for even saying that. He he showed a little tinge of realism because you know, it was very possible that they might not have won it in '99. Dennis Robin was really starting to clown. Uh, it would have been harder to rein him in for another year. He talked about how he was just bored. You said that too, and, you know, just bored. You know, so I'll, I'll go to Vegas. I'll go wrestle. I'll go do this. I'll go do that. So if he loses it and gets himself suspended for a good portion of the season or, or, you know, does something stupid in the playoffs and is out for a series. or Anything could have happened in 99. So I'm glad Jordan Lee said, maybe we might not. And the thing about Dennis Rodman, and I loved his 30 for 30, Dennis Rodman, I would say, is if he's not the most, he's on the short list, He's the most 1990s person. Like, when I think about the 1990s, it's Dennis Rodman. He's dating Madonna. He married Carmen Electra. He stars in a movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Right? <laughs> he, he, he plays basketball with Michael Jordan. And he wrestles on WCW Monday Nitro. I mean, that <laughs> Dennis Rodman is the late 90s all-in-one person. You know, and he had blonde hair. You know, when you when put up all the things, you know, he wore leather pants. Like, is there anything? <laughs> Dennis Rodman is the, is the living embodiment of the late 1990s. Like, no matter, you could watch Entertainment Tonight. You could watch Sports Center when both of those shows were kind of at their peak. And they're all going to give you Dennis Rodman news. Plus, you can pick up a WCW yeah. magazine and read about Dennis Rodman there. So, <laughs> I just think that's something that, that gets overlooked. Like, Dennis Rodman in the 90s was just, he was different. He was different. He was everywhere. He was everywhere. Sure was. 
Sure was. So definitely cool to just just had a couple little, like you said, and there might be more stuff from last year if we remember going forward. But you yeah, forgot to mention that 54-point output from the Jazz, uh, in addition to June 8th being the day when workouts start for SEC athletes. <laughs> um, and as far as, you know, one athlete that won't be there is Chris Oates from the football team. Linebacker, uh, showed a lot of promise, split some time with DeAndre Square. There were times when he, they both got to play when Cash Daniel wasn't on the field and you saw the potential. But, you know, tweets came out a few days ago, a serious medical condition that the family wants to keep private. Stoops was on Twitter, UK football on Twitter. Not COVID related, because of course when you see news like that, everybody wants to speculate, well, what is it? What what what's, what happened? So they made sure and in these crazy times, you mine would also probably drift towards coronavirus. So it's not COVID nineteen. They're not disclosing what it is. Football is on the back burner, so you just want him to, once he left the hospital, to go to the rehab facility to start recovering just to get healthy again. A young kid, 20 years old, if he's even 20, you don't expect to be dealing with stuff like this. So, now's not the time to worry about how many tackles per game that won't be there when the season starts. You just hope he can be healthy again and make it through it because whatever it is, it's really concerning. Yeah, definitely to, to, to Chris Oates. You don't want to pry, but uh, just sending him all the love and prayers that we can for a, uh, an expeditious uh, recovery. Uh you know, and, and when I just look at the, the, the football team, I don't know if you saw that article on ESPN.com uh, uh, about, uh, on uh, the football team and what they've overcome with a coach and player uh, dealing with cancer uh, diagnosis. And the little nugget of Stoops getting information for both those guys on the same day. Uh, and, and, and for Stoops to, to, to kind of maintain the program through all that, that's one of those things I don't think gets talked about uh, enough. But whatever's going on with with with, uh, with Oach, you hope that hey, you know, that he's able to get forget football for a moment. I know that's kind of cliche, excuse me, cliche at this point, but um, definitely extending uh, all our love to him. For sure. <clears throat> um. Uh, yeah, that article by Alex Scarborough was was really good, and, and like you said, the fact that he found out both of those diagnoses within minutes of each other was uh, that's unbelievable. Uh, I remember I said this on the Believe in Kentucky podcast. I did record that earlier today. It'll be out later. So definitely check that out as y'all listen to us and check that podcast out, you're, too. You're killing it on that, um, man. You're killing it. I'm, I'm trying, man. I'm trying. And I, you, you talked about how you and I 
want sports to happen. We're not like you. Every game we're doing pregame with ESPN six eight, and that occurs when there are games. You were killing it. I called yeah. in. Aaron Huffman called in. We get to listen. You look forward to the games. You were doing well on that because there are games. I got this opportunity to do this podcast in hopes of, you know, looking forward to talking about Kentucky games. You and I are doing this for five years based on games and performances. We still have fun and stuff. We still have fun and still have stuff to talk about every week. I'm still trying to do the same thing on the podcast. Still got some cool stuff in the works that still can't quite comment on yet, but games fuel the train, and that's not happening right now for anybody. So to think that we're out here being cautious and don't want games, that's not that's not the case at all. So, uh, but I I think what two years ago after the first seventy five season. I called in the Mark Stoops show just as a as a fan. He does it every thing every Monday with Tom Leach, and I just asked him because I I forget what prompted me because at this time you hadn't I don't think I was covering games or I was hadn't was still too nervous to ask him a question. I can't remember, but I just said because you know he came to Kentucky straight as a as a coordinator from Florida State. He'd never been a head coach before until he got to Kentucky, so. You can't prepare for that until you actually become a coach. But he didn't coach at some smaller school before coming here. I just asked him on the call-in show, I said, has there been anything that has caught you off guard or kind of hit you like a curveball, you know, that, that buckles your knees? You know, like one of those good Dwight Gooden curveballs that you'll know, have a, a batter bailing out and jumping out of batter's box and a strike. Has anything hit you? like a curveball or hit you unexpectedly that you haven't been ready for. And he said no. He honestly just – and you know he's pretty much a straight shooter. You and I have got to cover his press conferences. And he was like, no, not really. Um, and you got to take him at his word. This diagnosis two in a row back-to-back, your O-line coach and one of your prominent defensive end outside linebackers both having cancer – would probably be about as bad a blows as you can take. I remember if you saw the Periscope or the the press conference, he was kind of visibly shaken when he started that and then went and announced the news. So uh, if, he, if he had to say anything, that would probably be the, the two biggest blows or unexpected gut punches that he's had to deal with since he's been here. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's – but – I, I, again, I, I think that when you look for a coach of your program, okay, you've got X's and O's guys, right? You've got guys that, that can scheme with the best of them and everything like that. But being a head coach, whatever level you are, you are is there's so much more to it than that. You, you've got to be uh, you've got to be a motivational speaker. You've got to you know when things go wrong. And again, I don't think Coach Stoops gets nearly enough credit for uh, you know 
I've got some folks here in Louisville, surprise, surprise, and I'm sure you probably do them in your neck of the woods down there in Knoxville, that, oh, Kentucky just won with a backup quarterback. And I think that doesn't tell the whole story of what happened last year. Like, it wasn't just Terry Wilson. It was a lot of guys that got injured that forced Lynn Bowden into playing and playing well and flipping your entire offensive philosophy on the fly. Again, look back a few years ago, Drew Barker goes down. They were ready to air the ball out. That's what happened, you know, the Southern Miss game, the Cats eventually lost, but Barker was airing it out, right? You get Steven Johnson, who doesn't have that skill set, discover you've got Benny Snell on the bench, okay, let's revamp this on the fly. So I, I say all that just to say when it comes to coaching in these adverse situations, Coach Stoops has been a steadying figure for all these guys. And, and I think, again, that's one of those things that gets underrated when we talk about coaches is there's so much more than just X's and O's. Like, we've seen plenty of X's and O's coach, coaches not make uh, as a big impact as guys who are more motivational guys. You know, uh, we, when you look at Coach Cal, you know, the doc I hear on, here in town is he's not an X's and O's guy. Okay, but there's something to be said to get all these five-star guys to play defense, to get all these guys to buy in, right? It's something to be said to tell Anthony Davis, who was a generational talent. I don't know if you saw that tweet I put out last night that uh, I can't remember what account it was, had a highlight of the 2012 Olympic team that won gold, obviously. Kobe, LeBron, all those guys, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, Kevin, whatever, you know, Melo, yada, yada, yada. And then they showed a couple of highlights of Anthony Davis. And think about this. In a 14-month stretch, Anthony Davis graduated from high school, came to Kentucky with 38-2, won every individual award at the collegiate level, won a national championship, most outstanding player of the Final Four, gets drafted number one overall, and then wins Olympic gold playing with Kobe Bryant, LeBron, and Kevin Durant. That's a pretty good 14-month stretch for anybody. But but <laughs> Coach Cal uh, had him on campus, and we know Cal says it all the time, it's one of his talking points, he only took the fifth most shots, yada, yada, yada. But there's something to be said to, to get somebody to buy in. You know, uh, nope. people talk about Phil Jackson. Well, you know, he had Michael Jordan. He had Kobe Bryant. Yes, that's true. Every coach that wins a championship has good players. You know, that's, that's dumb if you think otherwise. Well, Steve Kerr, he just had Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. Yeah, no duh. <laughs> well, you know, Ty Lue only had LeBron. Yeah. Well, Casey Jones, all he had was Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish. Okay. Well, Pat Riley, all he had was Magic and Worthy. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. But how many titles did Michael win without Phil Jackson? How many did Kobe Bryant win without Phil Jackson? Mm -hmm. Okay. So 
So there's something to be said for coaches that that can X and O and can scheme, but you have all these moving parts. And uh, that was one thing that jumped out at me when you're looking at the last dance, you know, whether you agree or not, but Phil Jackson kind of saying, all right, Jerry Reinsdorf said, I can go 82 and 0 with a championship. I'm not coming back. This is our last dance. And mm-hmm. using that as a rallying cry. And that's part of it too, is, is these teams that have won a lot. How do you get motivated to keep, what is it that you're going for? as a coach, as players that keep you motivated. Phil Jackson is excellent at motivation. You know, uh, B.J. Armstrong was on Bomani Jones' podcast a couple weeks ago talking about Phil Jackson. And and, and remember, B.J., his rookie season was 1990 when the Bulls lost to the Pistons in Game 7. He was a rookie on that team. And he said he's looking for – coaching like you get at the collegiate level, but you and I have talked about before, Phil Jackson, you know, probably when you look on the sidelines, the great image I have on him is just the other team goes on a 10-0 run and Phil's just sitting there with his legs crossed. Like, hey, you you got in this hole, you figure it out. And 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 that's a different you know, that's a different kind of mindset than we usually see of coaches. So there's something to be said for coaches that can be a steadying, uh, calming influence through turbulent times. And and Coach Stoops, to his credit, has done that a lot in his, uh, I want to say short time, but it's not becoming a short time at all. What is he, is he on year eight or nine coming up? I, I lose track. So he's been able to do that with a lot of wrenches being thrown his way. And, you know, it's time to give him his due. Yeah, you had, like you mentioned, Drew Barker lost first, second game of the season. Landon Young, you know, you got your starting left tackle going for the season a couple years ago before right at the end of camp. I mean, you know, you're ready to go into the season. Boom, you lose your left tackle. Uh, Devontae Robinson was lost for the season, who came on this show, friend of the show, Devontae Robinson. Terry Wilson, second game of last season. And we said, it. look, Eddie Grant hasn't had a QB1 yet, really. Um, so, and, and throughout all of this, the program has continued to improve. They continue, there's, there's been no slippage, no drop-offs, still increasing the win total, going to bowl games, winning bowl games. Now, you know, you were going 7-5 and five and you lost to Georgia Tech in a bowl game, lost to Northwestern in a bowl game, which that was, that was yeah, bogus. That, you know, that, they lost, lost yeah, by that one point. Get, yeah. yeah, that's been yeah. a good talk. And, but. Uh-huh. and now now you're beating the Penn State and you're beating the Virginia Tech. And, and he said that at the time. You know, we, we, it's nice to go, but when we get there, we want to start winning them. And now, to their credit, they're getting the bowl games and winning them against established marquee programs. You beat a Penn State. You beat, uh, what's this, uh, Bud Foster, legendary defensive coordinator, been there 100 oh, years yeah, at, at Virginia Tech. Yeah, yeah. You know, 
it had got more camera time than anybody in that game, him and that lunch pail, and you beat him. You put 37 <laughs> points on him with that quote-unquote backup quarterback that he had a month to prepare for and still couldn't stop. <laughs> And, and yeah, you know, and that's the that's the kind of side eye you get, particularly here in town. Uh, we've talked about it before, you know that, uh, uh, of course, every time Louisville loses, something, you know, it doesn't count. It was Bobby's last year, Satterfield's first year, full moon or whatever. But for in that Louisville game, for Lynn Bowden to only have two passes. And to blow Louisville out, come on, man! Like you, you, you knew that. Like everyone knew, it's it's, it's going to be a running play. Like that should be easy to scheme for, but it is what it is. So, I, I think with coaching, though, back to that point, there's so much more that goes into it that I don't think most people think about. We we think about what we see on game days, but there's so much more that goes into uh, sports. And, you know, and, and, and Van Howes, friend of the show, Anthony White, have talked about what goes on before there's even game day, right? Uh, I quote Anthony because he came on, remember, he, well, he's been on the show a lot, but he came on, he was talking about those Tim Couch teams, and he's like, look, we had 20, 30 plays. We knew we could get the yards on against anybody because we knew during the week we're practicing, we knew – there's a there's running play. We can get five yards off this play. We know we run this pass play. We can get Craig Heath deep. And that's what happens uh, in practice. And we've seen that with Kentucky. Once Benny Snell became Benny Snell and you got Boom Williams, hey, we pound in the rock. You know, I've talked about it before on this show is whatever your team is, if it's baseball, football, hockey, field hockey, uh, turling, <laughs> equestrian, whatever, you've got to have an identity. And every successful program has an identity. You recruit for it at the collegiate level. You draft for it on the pro level. You sign free agents. You've got to have an identity and say, this is what we're going to do. This is how our bread is going to get butter. And you run into problems when you get away from that, right? Yeah. The successful teams just say, look, when you look at teams that are dominant, I'm not talking about the one-off teams that have one good run. I'm talking about teams that are dynasties that, that, that win three or four titles, that go to a bunch of championship-level things. They have an identity, and they play to it. And Kentucky football is getting that identity right now. You know, when uh, I know you've looked back at, at, at you know those Cowboys teams of the '90s. Those play calls weren't exotic, right? You're going to pound Emmett Smith because you can't stop him. And when you bring somebody for Emmett, Michael Irvin over the top. Jay Nocek underneath, Alvin Harper on the other side. Nothing was exotic. You can look at those Cowboys teams, and there's nothing they did on the offensive side of the ball that you just say, wow, that's revolutionary. They just said, mm-hmm. we're going to be the best at what we do, right? You know, 
uh, by 49ers of that time period. The West Coast offense was just, hey, we're going to get rid of the ball quick. Three-step drops, quarterbacks are getting rid of the ball. Nothing too wild and crazy, but if you got Joe Montana and Jerry Rice, you know, whatever offense you're running becomes easier. Those, that, that's mm-hmm. how those teams become uh, iconic, and you've got to – when you look at what Alabama does, we're going to run the ball and play defense. That's all they're doing under Nick Saban. Nothing too wild and crazy. You don't have to reinvent the wheel to be dominant. You've just got to have an identity so when uh, some kind of adversity happens, you just say, okay, we got to play in a place. This is how we do it. Because last year with the football program at UK, for them to flip it like that, you've got to have buy-in from Lynn Bowden. You want to make that move? You and I have talked repeatedly about uh, the receivers have to uh, buy in. Josh Ali, Ahmad Wagner, they didn't get recruited to block every play, but they buy into it because they're buying into what the team is doing. So when that Louisville recruit says, you know, I didn't sign to, to block, okay, we sign on to win, right? Right. So <laughs> when you've got a program with identity and you've got guys that are buying into it, you can do things like that. That's the frustrating thing to me personally about my 49ers in the Super Bowl. Raheem Mostert sets a record in the NFC Championship game for rushing yards, and he doesn't get a carry until late in the second quarter. Are you kidding me? Are you? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, and we see coaches, you get cute and you lose. Like, (laughs) Pete Carroll, for everything he did at USC, everything he did at Seattle, taking Seattle from also ran to championship contenders, what is the one thing we're going to remember about Pete Carroll? Not giving the ball to Marshawn Lynch. Mm -hmm. You know, you, 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 You've got to you've got to dance with what got you to that point. Yeah. And coaches try to outthink themselves and try to do things different. You've got to believe in the culture you've established. You know, uh, I would feel better bringing it back to a Kentucky thing, looking at some of those tournament losses that Cal has had, where he starts to get a little conservative, particularly 2015. You know, hey. We've been running and gunning all year. You know, we were up 41-7 UCLA running and gunning that season. We beat Kansas by 30 points. We beat Louisville by 20 Well, we didn't beat them by 20 points that year, whatever it was. Run and gun. If we lose, we lose. But do what we've been doing all year. You know, if you're going to go out losing, go out with no chambers in the, you know, no bullets left in the gun. Yeah. That's my ranting and raving. You got me ranting and raving today. <laughs> well, you know, it's just the beauty of it. We enjoy it. We enjoy it. But we'll take us a quick little break, and then um, we've got a few minutes left on the other side. i got to talk about Eddie Sutton and any other little nuggets uh, to take us home with. This Cats Talk Wednesday, KTB Brown, Finney Hardy, Brown and Hardy Radio Network. Stay with us. We'll be right back in a couple minutes. Thanks. 
back y'all. Catch up Wednesday. Any Hardy K Brown, Brown and Hardy Radio Network, BlogTalkRadio.com, 845-277-9373. Show is brought to you by the Smoky Mountain Trader, 5063 West Andrew Johnson Highway, Suite 1, 423-587-1700. Graphic needs, classifieds, print needs, whatever you need, they can take care of it. Number one red reader in the tri-state area, in print and online. Give them a call. Lynn Earls will take care of you. And if you're not feeling well, mydoterra.com slash Tara Hardy one. Different ways to keep yourself feeling better or keep yourself from feeling as bad to begin with. So thank both of them for helping us bring the show to you. Eddie Sutton, coach Kentucky from 85 to 89. Coached at Creighton in Arkansas before UK. Went on to Oklahoma State after leaving Kentucky. Passed away at the age of 84. Did get to find out that he was going to be inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame before he passed, which is good. Sometimes you hate to see people make it in posthumously and, and have Hall of Fame careers and aren't in in time before they pass away. Um you, of course, had the rocky ending at Kentucky with the scandal and the Kentucky shame and all of that. But he's a good coach, a good guy, has some demons and some personal issues that he fought. But uh, I think he caught a lot of flack for when Sean would play, kind of like Tubby did when Saul would play. He was... I vaguely remember him. Like, I was seven when he got hired. There's little bits and pieces that I remember while he was there. Just like there's bits and pieces of the end of Joe B. Hall that I remember. I remember the 84 Final Four loss to Georgetown. We've had Kenny Walker on this show to talk about it, where the whole team just was ice cold and it was just weird and nobody can buy a bucket. I remember Rex Chapman, uh, not as much as I should, like I was, like I was 7, 8, 9, and 10. Remember Rex, though, um, and Kenny Walker, and friend of the show, Roger Harden, who's been on here as well. Reggie Hanson, friend of the show, plays two years for Eddie Sutton, two years for Rick Pitino. So um, a good coach, everybody that you here talking about him will say that. Every article that you read about him will say that. You're not a good coach. And you're not going to – I mean, you can't make it to the Hall of Fame as a coach without being a good coach. Took three different teams to the Final Four. Took the Arkansas team in 78. The year that Kentucky won it, 87 was in the Final Four with Arkansas, with Sidney Moncrief and, and a lot of good players. And took two different Oklahoma State teams to the Final Four. I remember Roger Mason and Big Country, Bryant Reeves, and had a lot of good teams when he went down there as well. But um, condolences to to Eddie. Uh, and you saw that from Creighton. You saw that from Arkansas. You saw that from Kentucky. Uh, and you saw it from Oklahoma State. All the places where he went. Uh, Good or bad, a lot of people still remembered him 
during his time and his different stops. Yeah, you know, uh, again, during his run in Lexington, I was not a Kentucky fan, obviously. But if it, it's complicated, his legacy is complicated. And in all actuality, when we say that, I think all of our legacies are somewhat complicated, right? There's, there's, there's no, no one story is is a perfect movie story from beginning to end. Um, as you said, there was a lot of things personally that he worked on to correct, and you commend him for it. And uh, if he didn't do anything else for Kentucky basketball, bringing little brother into the lexicon. <laughs> That's a pretty big deal because it summed up the the relationship between Louisville and Kentucky like nobody's business. Uh, we still use it today. Yeah. So I think that that's uh, that's great. That's that, that that's great. If nothing else, he did that. But but having the success he did, even outside of Lexington, and at at Oklahoma State. I mean, of all places, in Oklahoma State, you know, you, you don't think Oklahoma State is a, being a basketball uh, mecca, but uh, definitely heartbreaking. He should have been in a long time ago. Mm-hmm. When you look at the numbers and you look at his resume, he should have been in. So we can take solace in the fact that he knew he made it. Yeah, uh, but definitely one of those sh- that should have been in a long time ago, based on longevity and and just the numbers. Yeah, he should have been in. He won over eight hundred games in his career, eighty four and fourteen as a JUCO. There's you know jokingly the uh, I don't know if it's KSR that makes the kind of broad joking comparisons about how Kentucky basketball since Adolph Rupp has repeated itself. You you have you have a legend, you have a, a legend in Adolph Rupp followed up by a a good coach, solid coach in Joe B. Hall. A lot of people my parents' age kind of weren't thrilled with Joe B in a few of his years. But then Joe B's followed by a coach they kind of have personal issues and, and demons. The history repeats itself because you have Patino, Hall of Famer, great job, turns the program around, won a title, should have won another one, probably in 97. Covey comes and follows Rick, good, solid, kind of like Joe B following Rook. And then Billy Gillespie, personal issues, things he's battling off the court, kind of parallels to 87. I saw some, some comparisons that were, you know, saying Billy G was like Eddie Sutton or Billy G was, you know, kind of like Eddie. Just in the off-court stuff, the comparisons in when we talk about their coaching chops, if you will, Eddie Sutton was 82 and 50 at Creighton. He was there four or five years. He goes to Arkansas and is there for like 11 years like 74 until he left for Lexington in 85. He's 260 
and 75 at Arkansas. They said the arena helped 5,000 when he got there, and, you know, he helped bump it up to where it held 9,000 when he left. Took him to a Final Four, like I said. So he is 342 and 125 when he gets the Kentucky job. Billy Gillespie had a terrible first year at UTEP, won six games, then he goes 24 and whatever, uh, and has a good second season. Then he has three pretty good years at Texas A&M. He's like 158 when he comes to Kentucky and kind of got everybody infatuated with him when he beats Louisville in the tournament in Rupp Arena, which kind of, you know, maybe swayed Mitch Barnhart a little too much. Truth be told, hindsight 2020. But the Billy G. Eddie comparisons as coaches, that doesn't add up. Eddie was a lot more accomplished. And if you a decade at Arkansas, Billy was kind of, you know, flashing in the pan more so. And, you know, his two years did not go well here either, and that was quickly nipped in the bud, and, and then Cal came in. But just you have a legendary coach, a good coach, and then a coach with issues. Okay, yeah, it does add up. History repeats itself. But Billy is not the coach, or is not the coach that Eddie was. So let, I'm just going to kind of set the record on that. And I don't remember Eddie. I was young, but I just spit out those stats. So <laughs> right, and, and, and bringing up, uh, bringing up uh, Billy G, our, our main man Bradley McKee. Bradley with the B-roll has been doing these video segments with former cats. He's done Dakari Johnson. I mean, he's had a whole bunch. His most recent one is yeah. Joe Crawford. And Joe Crawford's one of those guys that you, you forget about, but he is number 20 on the all-time scoring list in Lexington, which, okay, the first yeah. time I saw it, I'm like, it didn't click, but he was a double-digit scorer all four years, right? And I still think his his performance against Marquette in the tournament, I know Kentucky lost the game first round, yada, yada, yada. But but he had like 37 points. Bradley, Ramel Bradley had 13 or something like that. But it was just – it was our own version of ISO Joe. And, and his performance, <laughs> he left it all uh, – left it all on the court. But he just talks about – uh, Billy Gillespie as a disconnect with the players. And it goes back to what we're talking about coaches and and really a little bit about MJ and that tough love is people want to skip steps. Okay. Like everybody knows Jordan was tough on his teammates. And we see coaches that are tough on their players. Okay. You can do that if you have uh, already established a level of care and trust with if it's your coworkers, if it's your teammate, if it's your team, right? Like, I didn't like it when my parents yelled at me growing up, but even as a kid, I could understand they want what's best for me, right? Like, you can have a discussion with your wife that may raise in volume that you're not going to tolerate from someone else 
because you all have a track record of trust and that kind of thing. And it just sounded like Billy G hit the door in Lexington and tried to do things without establishing that trust. And uh, I, I suggest folks check out, in Bill Crawford's own words, the practice the day of the Gardner Webb game. And then it becomes clear that the tactics that you might use in Texas A&M, uh, in College Station, won't work in Lexington, right? There's a there's a learning curve to the job. And we've had Dwayne Peavy come on this show and talk about Cal, John Calipari, having an adjustment to the Kentucky job, Right? There's things you have to do as the head coach at UMass and even the head coach Memphis, and I'm saying that, you know, Mama B, Memphis grad, I've got folks down in the 901, but there's things you have to do you ain't got to do here. Like, you don't have to beat the bushes for uh, season ticket holders, right? The, The list of Kentucky's for Kentucky season ticket holders, we know it's not quite like Green Bay, but Kentucky tickets, you know, they don't have to beg, you know, 10,000 people to come to the games, right? And so, and and the type of kids you're bringing into Lexington, you you don't have to drive them. They're not plucky underdogs. You know, Ramel Bradley and Joe Crawford, they were highly decorated recruits. Now, I'm not saying you need to baby them, but there's things you, you, you don't necessarily have to do if the people are already talented, right? Like, we, you know, Kentucky is not some plucky underdog team. So that mindset of Billy G didn't work. You know, I think from what I've read and heard, Eddie Sutton knew, because I think he famously said he would crawl on his hands and knees to Lexington for the Kentucky job, right? Yeah. So he understood. Another, yeah, another I, money quote. I, yeah, another money quote. Like, I've had success at Arkansas, right? I have gotten Arkansas to a Final Four. But the Kentucky job is different. Uh, Coach Cal has said, you know, he had some success at UMass. Going back to Coach's uh, that played the coach in the Final Four that eventually came to Kentucky, you know, Cal in '96. Uh, it's a different job. It's a different animal. Rick Pitino, Camelot. It's just different. That rubbed a lot of Louisville fans the wrong way, but it is different, right? And that's not to say your program is trash. I'm not saying that at all. You know, I've got Louisville in my top ten all-time programs. But Kentucky is just different, and and you have to change that approach a little bit. So uh, bring it all back to, to Eddie Sutton. He was complicated, as we all are. He was able to overcome some things. Uh, but his mark, he left his mark on the storied history of Kentucky basketball. And in college basketball, he left an even bigger mark. So glad he made it to the Hall of Fame. You know, 
glad he was able to, to, to have that knowledge for his passing. And hopefully, I would like to see whenever college basketball comes back, I would love to see Kentucky do something to honor Eddie Sutton. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I definitely had to touch on all that. You know, the Eddie Sutton, Chris Oaks, and the volunteer workouts kind of, from what I can tell, the three biggest things that happened as far as Kentucky was concerned, definitely with the foundation of the show today, uh, in a peripheral kind of way, the uh, the triple crown for the horse racing is kind of different, all totally different this year because you're going to have the the Belmont, then the Derby, and then the Preakness instead of Derby, Preakness, Belmont. So it's going to be completely changed due to COVID-19 with the way that is taking place. And I think the Belmont isn't even the same distance as it normally is. So it's going to be a lot of asterisk type stuff with those three races this summer. Yeah, you know, I, I you know, we apply asterisks to things we don't agree with, right? Like that's, that's kind of how it goes. Uh, when a team wins something that we don't like, we kind of say, yeah, you know, uh, we, we do it as Kentucky fans, like, ah, you know, losing to Arizona in 97, that kind of stinks. But Derek Anderson didn't play. You know, we, we've got those kind of things. So uh, this whole year, it's just it's different. It's, it's wonky. Uh, you know, my girls just finished up officially with school today. Uh, Little Miss moving on from elementary school. Big Miss moving on from middle school to high school. Uh, it's just it's just weird. Uh, so mm-hmm. with the with the triple crown being run out of order, uh, and with the Belmont not being the same distance, uh, I guess if a horse were to pull it off, you kind of maybe it's an asterisk. But uh, I mean the whole world. We're living under an asterisk right now, right? Like everything yeah. we're doing is kind of weird. Uh, I, I, when I saw that, I don't know how you're how the buildup will be different for the Derby if you've already got the winner of a Triple Crown race already already known. Like I don't, because part of the 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 whole Derby pregame, if you will, is you know, these horses that have won, you know, the Bluegrass Stakes and the Arkansas Derby, okay, those are usually contenders, but I, I don't know how you can come into the Derby with a favorite favorite that's already got a triple crown, you know, under under its, you know, under its belt. I, and, and with the gap between the races, that's going to be a thing, too. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to be a, a horse racing handicapper, but it's just to me, it's just going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, <clears throat> check it out when it gets closer to that time. But yeah, interesting is the the perfect word for that. Um, interesting NBA note that I saw, and I can't say I blame him that 
Damian Lillard says if the, the Blazers don't have a legitimate shot to make a playoff run or get themselves into the playoffs, he's not playing. So like if they, they have a couple of regular season games but not enough for them to try to jail real quick and get on a, a tear and, and pass well, I think Memphis, whoever's in eighth right now, then look, I'm just going to be sitting over here sitting it out till next year. Uh, and this is, you talking about the professional leagues being taken care of, but he's kind of got reservations. I mean, if you just give us four games and then start the playoffs, then I'm, I'm out. That's basically what he said. Because why would you incur the risk without a real reward? Like, I, I just... Yeah. I, I I can see, okay, Le, Le, LeBron and, and those guys and, and the Lakers, of course they want to get back. You know, your number one seed in the West, you kind of had a good thing going. You can add, you know, number seven teams for the franchise. LeBron can, can add number four. AD can taste championships. So, yeah, I get that. But if you're, like, I, that's what I would, that's another point of the NBA coming back is you just start with the playoffs. Because if you're, you know, the trailblazers and, and you're on the outside looking in, why do all that, play however many games, and then you're done? That that just seems like a lot of hullabaloo and a lot of risk for nothing. I can see if you're a playoff team and they're going to start with the playoffs, but why are we just going to play some regular season games that aren't going to have any bearing? I understand that. I, I and the state and you know, not a Blazers fan, but you know they're in the Western Conference where our teams are. I was surprised to see them continue to not well continue to struggle for as long as they did. You know, you looked up and they they just kind of started off rough and they've been trying to dig out this hole all year long after the deep run they made last year, you know, shooting the thunder out of the playoffs and waving bye to Paul George and and, (laughs) uh, for them to not be a playoff team when COVID-19 hit, I was a little surprised by that. They had a lot of changes. Uh, I don't think the big man was back, uh, not Jokic, but Nurkic, I think is his name. He wasn't back with his injury, but I still thought they'd be a playoff team. Then you bring in Melo and try to get him worked in, and it just didn't really click for them. Uh, you know, they had as many games as everybody else, and they just, you know, you know, it's only eight they can, only eight spots. And if they don't get enough, like you said, if they don't get a handful of games to, to rev it up, then I'm with it. You know, he, and he's catching some heat, and people, oh, you get paid to play, but uh, – just just reset and, and roll in the next year. If I was in that position with him, I don't I don't blame it all. Right, right, and and that's what we're going to have to to take into account. Of yes, these guys want to play. I, I think I, I, it goes back to people thinking that sports writers don't want sports to return. Of course they do, you know, and of course these players want to play, but got to look at this thing from the big picture 
And if you're coming back for four or five games, why? What what's what's the what's the deal? Uh, you know, and, you know, NBA players have made their money, right? This is the end of you know toward the end of the season. They have been paid. It's not like baseball players that haven't received that check. So, what what's the what's the what's your driving factor if you're not even a playoff team, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got to be thinking the same if you're a baseball player as well. Like, if if your team starts out and you're on what the Marlins, they're playing 80 games, and after 20 games you're five and 15. What are you doing? Yeah, you want to play, but what is you know why go through all that hassle for what? For what? Uh, that's the again that. There's so many moving parts to all this. Uh, it's just it's just wild uh, to me. Yeah. Saw a tweet from friend of the show, your fellow namesake, Drew Brown, Big Blue Drew, uh, Sea of Blue, Cats by Ninety Podcast. Kentucky Dad podcast that you were a guest on a couple episodes ago, and he said, Let's see. Um, was expecting NCAA decision on Olivier Sar to drag out into the late summer, even early fall. But the fact that Johnny Juzang already got his waiver kind of makes him feel better about Olivier Sar possibly getting his done in a timely manner. And when we're talking about the NCAA, timely manner usually is not following in that same sentence. But Johnny Juzang got his waiver quick, you know, way quicker than anybody thought or anybody's ever seen. And maybe that'll hold true when it's time for Olivier Sarr to get his transfer completed. Yeah, that, that that's the, the the biggest piece of the puzzle. Going back to the Ion College Basketball podcast, uh, if he is eligible, the star is eligible. Obviously, that's a big boom for Kentucky. I think Kentucky will be solid without, uh, but with him, obviously, that's another solid uh, collegiate player. And you know, you, you want a lot of those. <laughs> you know, you can't go wrong with that. Uh, but the NCAA, you just don't know. I mean, yeah. I'm surprised that Johnny Juzang's case or whatever his situation was resolved as quickly as it was. So we'll see. Uh, with SAR, you know, I think if you take into account the coaching change and all that, hopefully so. But you'll see. You, you know, we'll see. I, I wouldn't be surprised either way. Right. I mean, with Johnny Juzang transfer to uh, UCLA getting completed so fast that, I mean, that could be the kiss of death that SARS takes forever. Because like you said, you'll never know. Right. So, but if they, which, you know, if they want to be consistent, that would be great. But we can't hold our breath on any of that ever. Uh, we'll see. Absolutely. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the uh, the coaches, you know, the older coaches. And that was the thing I hadn't even thought about at the beginning. You know, the, the Nick Saban, what you said, is easier for football. Mac Brown. Uh, but the Bayheim, the Coach K, Leonard Hamilton is over 70 years of age. So, the, yeah, that would be – that's a whole different dynamic. That So many things that you have to think about when you're really trying to put, piece it all together. Uh, I hadn't even thought about right. the older coaches. Aspect. Well, yeah, because, you know, uh, for regular students, if we can use that terminology, a lot of professors, you know, that's part of the issue is coaches. coaches. Colleges don't want to uh, rush back to in-person teaching because your professors are older. And I just don't understand how you can say, a 70-year-old college professor can't teach in person, but our 70-year-old basketball coach is, is good to to be in the locker room, to be coaching intently. Yeah, I, I don't. You you got to you got to explain some things as you move burden of these people that want to put these games on. You know, and I get it. The economic part of this, it's it's it. You, it's part of the calculus. It is, it is part of it. As we said, these athletic departments need this money, okay, that college football uh, generates. The NCAA needs the men's college basketball tournament. Like, there's no way that CBS and Turner Sports will be happy on missing back-to-back NCAA tournaments. That is that is not going to happen. That, that you know, it's almost can't happen. And, and this is the point I think we need to understand in our rush to get back is what happens when a kid, a collegiate kid gets it and hopefully yeah. not dies, but has some lifelong consequences. And the numbers of people playing football, men's basketball, and I know women's basketball can also come back, someone's going to get it. You can't have thousands and thousands of people traveling, playing, moving, all this kind of stuff, and someone not get it. And I'm not comfortable saying that the million dollars in revenue is going to be worth one life or two lives. To sound cold a little bit, how much money is one life worth? You tell me that you want to rush back, that you understand some people are going to be positive, but yada, yada, yada. How how much is one life worth? Or Mm -hmm. two? Or if it's someone's family member. I, I just don't think it's fair to put the onus on these young men and women to go out here and play to generate money and for our entertainment. I don't want to be that 18, 19-year-old football player went back, played football, and got his grandmother sick, and she died. That is mm-hmm. terrible. Right? Mm-hmm. Got a parent sick. Yeah. Got a, a sibling 
who has something and gets sick. So, yeah, maybe the athlete themselves will be okay, but I just don't think it's fair to ask them to do that. And we see people that dare uh, uh, Rovell, Ravel, Ravel, I think is that you mm-hmm. yeah. talk about, oh, yeah. well, you know, they play football and they understand, you know, CTE's part of it. Look, okay, number one, that's gross, okay? The sign-off to playing football shouldn't be, yeah, you're going to get CTE. Like, we know that's part of it, but okay. Number two is that's on the plate, right? We have seen over millennia the people that go work in coal mines that work these dangerous jobs. They take that risk upon themselves. You can't pass CTE on to your elderly parents, right? You can't pass it on to a immunocompromised child. Like, see, that's not how this works at all. It's a bad comparison, okay? Like, that, that, that it doesn't hold up to any sort of scrutiny. Uh, but again, not to belabor the point, but there's just so much that's going to try that you have to take into account on getting back to normal. You know, we're still at the point where, you know, we're being asked to wear masks, and I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. We're still being asked to be socially, social distance and stay six feet apart. How do you do that and play these sports? You know, if you look at some of the guidelines that Major League Baseball put out, you know, guys can't talk to each other. You know, you see somebody get to first base, you can't have that conversation, okay? You can't have a conversation, but can you throw to first base to keep a batter there? Like, how does, like, can you not have a play at the plate? Like, I'm trying to understand how you do these things and not and, and maintain social distance. How do you play, like, baseball? Okay, I can see you can limit that. Okay, maybe, kind of, sort of. How do you play football? Uh-huh. I mean, Yo. we've all heard the horror stories of what goes on on a fumble in the dog pile. Like, who's going to want to do that if if Kentucky is playing Louisville and Louisville has five or six guys that have tested positive? Like, how do you go in and play that team and get into a dog pile and you know that they've got players that have tested positive? Like, there's so much you need to take into account. And it's not about living in fear, whatever that means. It's about this is a easily communicable disease, and we're asking these young men to get in close quarters. And we've all seen, uh, even basketball, it's supposed to be non-contact, but guys get cut. You're sweating on each other. You're breathing next to each other. Mm-hmm. I, like, I, I just, I think it's just so craft to just say, okay, yeah, they'll be fine. Then let your kids play. Yeah. Yo. You know, you know, my kids. Uh, I don't know. We don't know now, right now, what their act, academic. Well, we don't know what the actual, uh, academic side will look like. We don't know athletics if they're going to play next year. But I tell you what, 
Big Miss is going to be in high school. She's playing field hockey. I've got a lot of concerns before I'm going to sign off on that. You know, just because we got tired of it doesn't mean that the virus went away. Right. Right. So Uh I'm not going to try to uh, put my kid at risk. I mean, that would be very hypocritical of me to say, hey, Big Miss, Little Miss, y'all can't play because of this virus, but then I'm going to push other people's children to score touchdowns yeah. and to dunk a basketball. That's going to be very hypocritical of me to do that. So, your weekend in Georgia. Again, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, you know there's, there's just so mm-hmm. much uh, that we have to take into account. Uh, the questions that I think – have to be addressed before we start playing. Yo. Couple quick things. Quick little lighter things. <laughs> Blast from the past I just saw on Twitter. Eldridge Rickhasner. That's the name. I know you ain't heard that in a while. I hadn't either. Played for several teams. Played for the play for the Hawks. He played for my Rockets for a minute. I think NBA Live ninety eight. I used to sub him in. You know, back when Matt Maloney and all those guys were there with a large one. I used to play NBA Live 98 with him. He tweeted out, uh, he said, man, NBA fans got robbed of not being able to see uh, at Rauf Mahmoud do his thing. That crossover to the Yakum 3 from the pump fake was ridiculous. If Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, have had Steph Curry's freedom in the nineties. He's talking about how we got robbed of seeing Chris Jackson. If he you know if he played today, basically what he's saying. Friend of the show, Reggie Hansen, <laughs> quoted the tweet and said, I didn't get robbed. I had to try to guard him when he was Chris Jackson at LSU. Plus they had Shaq and Stanley Roberts and so on and so forth. But just testament to how nasty Chris Jackson slash Mahmoud Abdurov was. Uh, just thought it was cool seeing Eldridge tweet about it and, and imagining him in today's game. Yeah, you would, you know, you that's the thing is sometimes we see players that revolutionize their sport but get overlooked. Mahmoud Abdul Raouf, if you see him in the big three, like he can still get it. And he's got to be yeah. close to fifty. But when he was uh-huh. Jackson LSU, there was he had he was Steph Curry before Steph Curry, before yeah. uh, the three point analytical thing came in, and he could get he could get anywhere he wanted to on the court, and could score in buckets. You know, we we saw that when he yeah. was at LSU. You know, God Sham God. You know, the Sham God inside out dribble. You know, I saw a little uh-huh. video on that that you know that everybody's got that little inside out dribble and uh, that little kind of pseudo crossover that he pioneered. But sometimes those guys kind of get overlooked. But Chris Jackson absolutely could ball. You know, when you yeah. look at you know when we talked about the that bracket with all the great SEC players, LSU has had a lot of great players to not have. The nope. on-court success that you would think necessitates that, but from Pistol Pete from Bob Pettit to Shaquille O'Neal to, to Chris Jackson <laughs> at the time, 
I mean, that's a that's a all time four right there that would compete with yeah. any four Kentucky could put on there, right? So, uh-huh. um, but I, I think it's good that that he, Chris Jackson, Mahmoud Abdul-Rahim is getting that those accolades now because you know we all know life is short, and, and we've talked about Coach Sutton earlier. We need to do, and we all, I'm saying we, that's me, myself included, we all need to give people their flowers while they're here. Give them their due while they can still enjoy it. Those pioneers, those people that have done things, tell them, and even on a small scale, the people in your own life. I feel like I'm doing Jerry Springer his final thought, but but give these people (laughs) You know, they're, they're due. You know, honestly, tomorrow's not promised. If anything, this this uh, uh, coronavirus should point out to us just how precious life is. Let those people you know or let those people that you care about, let them know right today because you don't know. And, and those people that, that uh, you know, those trailblazers, those – those great people, give them their props now. Don't wait and do it when they die. You know, we talked about that with uh, Little Richard, uh, was that last week, week before when he passed away, and how I'm glad that he got his due. Granted, it was like, you know, the mid to late 80s, but I'm glad he got his due because he had been Mm -hmm. overshadowed. So let's do a better job of giving these folks their flowers while they're still uh, among them. Absolutely. A perfect way to put a bow on it this evening. Uh, covered a lot, had a lot of fun. Uh, hit all the pertinent topics. The good, the bad, the happy, the sad. And give flowers while people are here. So definitely enjoyed it. Oh, and, and congrats on going viral as if you weren't already a, a Twitter celeb anyway, but yeah, getting a blue million likes and retweets for the breakfast served. Forgot to work that in. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Thirty-eight thousand. It made Twitter. It made Twitter unusable for a stretch. And and it, it, yeah, it was just a random tweet. And next thing I know, my phone is just blowing up. Like you think you want thirty thousand likes you, in, in all those retweets, you you kind of don't because I couldn't see messages from people I wanted to see. So. Yeah, that was that was fun. My taste was going viral. <laughs> Unbelievable. And uh you know kicking it with, with Robert Irvin running five Ks, just looking so look. What's next? We just have to tune in next week to find out. Follow T B to find out. But uh That's right. Have fun this evening. <laughs> have fun this evening. Congrats on the run. Congrats on Busting up in all the UK social media, and uh, look forward to doing it again next week. Come on, beast. We said hey, and y'all keep staying safe, and we'll keep doing the same. Absolutely. Thank everybody for listening, and we'll do it next week, man. That's it for Man Terry TV Brown. This is Vinny Hardy. Strangers, Cats on Wednesday. Y'all take care. We'll see y'all next week. Hey.